HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Sunday to you, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our show is being produced today by Jack Inslee and sponsored by The Barter House. Uh, the Barter House is proud to support Heritage Radio Network and, the com- and its community of food lovers. The Barter-, the Barter House works with small family vineyards and bottlers from around the world to bring only the finest and most flavorful wines to market. Committed to sustainable agriculture and artisanal production, The Barter House offers outstanding wines at a, re- at a wide range of price points to retailers, restaurateurs, and private collectors. To learn more about The Barter House, please visit them on the web at thebarterhouse.com or call 917-463-3076. So on this episode of Cutting the Curd, I am so pleased to have three really awesome, talented guests. Um, Tia Keenan, who is a chef from Ager. Uh, Tia built the cheese programs at The Modern and Casa Lula, uh, is a culinary consultant and has a project opening in New York in 2011, which we are all eagerly anticipating. Uh, Daphne Zeppos, who is a cheese force of nature. Um, she works with the Essex, che- Essex Cheese Company, which is an importer of fine European cheeses. She is an educator. She teaches at Zingerman's in their cheese program, Cheese School of San Francisco, the College of Marin, um, and is the founder, co-founder of the Cheese of Choice Coalition, which we're going to talk about more later in the show. And Matteo Keeler, who is the owner of Jasper Hill Farm, founder of the Cellars at Jasper Hill Farm, a project designed to preserve Vermont's working agricultural landscape. Um, and today we are going to be talking about raw milk cheese in the United States. So um, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Mate- Great to be here. Oh, you're good. <laughs> the phone's working. That's always a good sign. <laughs> um, so raw milk cheese in the United States, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. It's a very recent development. Um, you know, we just were doing a show about monastic cheeses. So we were talking about stuff that went back 1,500 years. Um, raw milk cheese in the United States has really only become a force, I would say, in the past 30 years or so. And Daphne, please correct me whenever I'm wrong, because I know I'm going to be wrong a lot. <laughs> um, but it's a very, very important agricultural food movement that's happening in our country. Um, and it's, it's been recognized um, by a couple different bodies as something worth preserving and promoting. Um, first by Slow Food, who founded a raw milk cheese presidium here for the United States um, in a land uh, you know that has kind of lost most of its culinary tradition. That was something that was singled out by Slow Food as an important thing to protect. And also by the Cheese of Choice Coalition, which um, Daphne's going to tell us more about. Um, so actually, maybe that's a, good, that's a good way to start. Daphne, can you tell us about Cheese of Choice and, uh, and how you got started with that? Yes, absolutely. So <clears throat> the Cheese of Choice Coalition started, as all good things, around a table. Um, We were actually um, all the way in Greece. We were on an old ways trip, and it was Deborah Madison 
and Dan Gifford and myself talking about mold, talking about cheeses, and really um, being really afraid that the 60-day rule that we have today in this country, which means that all uh, cheeses must be pasteurized if they are under 60 days. Um, and, of course, you can sell cheeses that are raw milk if they're over 60 days. But there were sort of covert, um, how can we say this, a slight covert action, a slight covert tendency that that rule was going to change and that rea in reality we wouldn't be able to have raw milk cheeses in this country anymore. And, and when was this? When was this meeting? This was in 2000. Okay. Very early 2000. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we wanted to do, and uh, Dan Gifford, um, who uh, was, you know, uh, the president of Old Ways at the time, uh, said, well, you know, it really is about informing the consumer and so we put together a little movement where we um, involved a lot of the cheeses or uh, cheese shops around the country, informing them and their customers um, about what raw versus pasteurized is, which are the raw milk cheeses in this country that are made here or that are brought over that would be in jeopardy, and what now do consumers feel about it? Mm -hmm. Would they like to see, for example, a country in which we can't have Parmigiano-Reggiano, which is raw milk, Gruyere, French or Swiss, which is raw milk, Roquefort. And so that's what we did. We just um, got a hefty amount of signatures together mm. from the consumer who said, no, you know, we really want to preserve this law. We really want to have access to those cheeses. And I just brought you three of the most strident classics here, but we're talking about a whole slew of cheeses that uh, you know, we wanted to make sure will exist in this country, plus the option for the American cheesemaker to be able to make raw milk cheeses if they're aged over 60 days. And so I was the co-founder in that grassroots moment when we put that together and we brought in Kathy Donnelly um, from the Vermont University at the time to compile a white paper, as it's called, which means she brought in the scientific side of the mm -hmm. argument. And as we grew a little bit bigger, then the cheese importers, um, as is, um, I think it's of America, also suddenly uh, got very interested uh, because the enormous numbers that are brought in and uh, the sales that are made by Gr the likes of Gruyere and uh, raw milk cheddar and um, Parmigiano Reggiano, suddenly we had some funding. Mm, interesting. It, yes. And so uh, now we were able to, you know, go more mainstream with uh, all that, you know, go mainstream, have some funding. And what we did basically is we helped solidify the 60-day rule um, as it stands today. Now, this is now nearly 10 years later, um, and we're again at this tenuous crossroads. And can I ask, who did you present your findings to, the signatures, the scientific papers? Um, we, uh, uh, we went to Washington, and um, I'm going to have to f uh, think of the body of uh, which, which of the uh, government uh, networks we actually approached to help solidify the status quo at the time. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. And so... Actually, does anybody here in the room know the history of the 60-day rule? Um, uh, it was something that was implemented after World War II mm -hmm. to deal with uh, uh, E. coli in cheddar cheese. So oh. it's, it came about um, with, you know, with a very narrow focus, and part of the problem uh, with the 60-day rule is that there's a... a several families of cheeses that actually become riskier the older they get, like, uh, you know, higher moisture, mold-ripened, and washed-rind cheeses, for instance, are actually safer uh, when they're younger than, uh, than, than when, they're, when they age. That's interesting. For some reason, I always thought it was a protectionist thing um, for American cheese against French cheeses like Camembert mm. Brie. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for debunking that. Um, so, I mean, 
raw milk, I, I feel like, I don't know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, I attended an ACS, an American Cheese Society, um, session um, this past August um, in which Matteo and actually Yvonne Larcher, who's a cheese consultant, made an excellent presentation um, about raw milk. And Well, no, it was about terroir, actually. But the, the, the thing that I took away from that session was that we shouldn't, in this country, in America, I feel like we shouldn't be talking about terroir yet. Terroir is something that evolves over many centuries over, you know, uh, Mateo is always fond of pointing out that terroir is not just about the taste of place, but it's also about the economy um, of people and, and animals and land that produce a product and that live off of that product. And so I feel like what we should be talking about is raw milk, because that is the, the most essential building block of um, cheese making. And that's what we really need to preserve and promote and celebrate in this country if our cheese tradition is to continue on its uh, on its upward track, um, wh what do you guys think? I don't know. Go ahead, Tia. Well, I mean, I wanted to start actually because this the reason that I'm here today is because a couple of weeks ago I I was at Saxelby Cheesemongers and was talking to Anne, and at the time um, I had been quoted in the New York Times. Um, in an article which was about uh, FDA crackdowns on small producers and the uh, unfortunate situation of a particular producer in um, Washington State. And Anne and I had, you know, lots of opinions. And we weren't on the radio. And we were talking as two people who've worked together for many years and who share passion. Um, and we had a lot to say, and we felt like um, that a lot of what we were saying was stuff that we were willing to say privately um, and not really um, willing to talk about publicly. And we also talked about, you know, what we felt about the science. And being that Anne and I, neither one of us are, are scientists, certainly um, we are reticent about talking about science, um, you know, publicly. Sure. In, a, in a detailed way, basically, uh, I think a, a a nice, clean way of saying what we're what we believe in is we we believe that most of the little critters are good. Um, yeah, <laughs> but and so you know, I think when we were talking about doing this show, um, we wanted to just sort of begin a conversation that was a little more public, um, because in the cheese world right now, if you get people who work in the cheese business and you get them together, what what inevitably the topic of conversation is, is what's happening in terms of regulation in this country, where we think that's going, what's been happening um, with this sort of, quote unquote, you know, food contamination scares, and what the effect of this was going to be on um, cheese making in the United States. Right, which in the the bottom of it is our, is all of our livelihoods here on this show. Yeah, and this was you know definitely something. I mean, Anne works almost exclusively with American artisan cheese, and um, although I've worked with cheeses from all over the world, more and more the focus of my work is American artisan cheese. And so we actually had a moment where we both said, you know, if if this if if American artisan cheese is going to sort of travel down the drain as regulation becomes more and more the focus of how and why cheese is made, what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we've, we've built our, our careers on um, teaching, talking, and feeding people American artisan cheese. And we've benefited very much from the growth of American artisan cheese culture. And so when, when we're thinking about raw milk, regulation, um, regulation of producers, what is, what is the meaning of that to us in a very sort of broad way? Yeah. And so, I don't know, I guess I have a question for, for Mateo. Um, I mean, you make both raw milk and pasteurized cheeses. Um, I don't know, do, do you see, um, I don't know, do you see your business changing um, in any way as you guys have sort of taken on a, a, a sort of larger role in the American cheese movement? Will you continue your practices as they stand? or? Um, Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, first of all, I think it, it, 
it's important uh, to uh, recognize that it is possible um, to produce uh, safe raw milk cheeses of all uh, styles, and it is possible to manage risk. Um, as a food uh, manufacturer, um, you know, we take uh, the health and well-being of our customers um, as one of the most important um, uh, tenets of our, our, our business. And, you know, it's never been a good business plan to poison your customers. <laughs> um, and, you know, with that in mind, you know, there, there are risks to eating. Um, there have always been risks. There always will be risks. There are systems that exist uh, to um, enable um, producers to monitor and manage those risks and to ensure that uh, the products that are putting out the door, um, you know, aren't going to be a liability for uh, themselves, for their, their customers, um, you know, retailers and wholesalers, and, um, and, and for consumers and the industry at large. Um, and one of the things that um, I think is coming to light is that as, uh, you know, the, the artisan cheese industry in the U.S. has really popped over the last few years, um, you know, anybody can just set up and uh, decide to make cheese. You don't have to know anything about food safety. You don't have to know anything about sanitation. You don't have to know anything about... Um, about uh, the process by which um, you can uh, mitigate, uh, mitigate, you know, risk. Or uh, even knowing what the, the potential risks are. Right, exactly. Um, and, um, you know, the fact is that every day uh, we take milk that's produced in a barn where there's, you know, I'm not sure if I can say this on a manure, you can say whatever um, you want on this show, can't yeah. you, Ann? We're, we're internet radio. <laughs> That's right. You know, there's like cow shit and, um, and you know, microbe heaven um, on the barn side. And uh, we're taking, you know, this milk and turning it, uh, fermenting it, uh, incubating um, the natural flora in that milk. And if anything is out of balance, you're going to have a problem. Um, and... You know, the, the thing about it is that you can't see these problems. Mm -hmm. uh, so unless you have, you know, testing protocols in, in place, unless you're monitoring your environment, unless you're, you know, really taking uh, the steps to, like, <clears throat> develop baselines for, you know, um, milk quality and, you know, standard plate counts, like total bacteria counts in your milk, and you know what's living in your drains, and um, you're keeping your finger on the pulse of um, of the environment in which you're producing these uh, fermented foods, then you're uh, you're flying blind. And my sense is that um, a lot of uh, small-scale artisan cheesemakers haven't gotten there yet, and that's that's a big problem. I think uh, probably the scariest thing about this um, FDA uh, push um, over the past year is that uh, the resources to really educate and elevate the technical capacity um, of producers um, isn't there. And so until we have, you know, uh, technical people on the ground that are going to uh, be able to help uh, small cheese makers across the country uh, set up, like, risk management programs um, and really, you know, educate them as to what those risks are and how to control them. And then, uh, you know, there's just the hammer and uh, the, the big hammer of government. And, and that's, you know, that's really problematic for a lot of uh, different reasons, uh, primarily um, because it seems like there's, there's some kind of political uh, agenda yeah. at hand. So. 
Well, this would be a good time to talk maybe about, you know, when we were talking about getting this show together, I also, Tia and I thought it would be a great idea to have someone with a European perspective, you know, someone who works for a European cheese consortium um, to talk about the different protocols and standards that exist there. Um, I feel like, I don't know, Daphne, you certainly have seen Mm -hmm. more of this than anybody else, and I feel like... They, the, that, the education part mm-hmm. and the standards and the resources for developing, um, you know, cheesemaking businesses in Europe is quite different than here. Can you do a comparison of, of what uh, kind of standards are required or, or encouraged? Well, let me start. I want to pick up where Matteo left off because I think it's an incredibly key issue. Uh, when we first got together uh, to uh, put together what you just uh, talked about in the very beginning, the first raw milk cheese consortium, American raw milk cheese consortium for for slow food, uh, we got together. Actually, it was here in New York at the uh, French Culinary Institute. There was a whole group of, uh, of us cheesemongers. Piero Sardo had come over, and we were trying all the raw milk cheeses. Now, I think this was in 2002. Um, that we did that um, late 2002 and the variety of raw milk cheeses that were produced in an artisanal and farmstead volume if you want at the time was minute I think we had I want to say we didn't have more than 25 cheeses maybe 30 cheeses in total and we wanted to find you know the three or four of those cheeses that were really fantastic that would be the ambassadors of this consortium Um, Now, the amount of incredibly delicious raw milk cheeses that are made on that small scale in the United States has, I don't know how many times over, has it doubled. Mm -hmm. We have such an incredible array, and sometimes I look and I I giggle just thinking at how, you know, we, we, we couldn't find a variety large enough to represent this consortium at the time, and now we would be spoiled to find these ambassadors. We, we, would, we would have such an incredible choice. Well, with that comes the education. And so now we have the Vermont VIAC, Vermont Institute of Artisan Cheese, that is providing those type of classes for small cheesemakers. The same thing is happening at the College of Marin, that's putting a cheese-making certification program together. And while I don't deal with the cheese-making part, I'm the one that sort of broadens the horizons, does taste uh, education and history of cheese and so forth. Um, But these are the institutions that are going to come in here and really protect that small cheesemaker. What I wanted to say about the College of Marin is at least two-thirds of it has to do with sanitation practices, health practices, protocols. That is really what we're hammering in to this startup cheesemaker. And the whole of Marin and Sonoma is rife with little cheesemaking operations that are starting. And they all start on the back of their stove and then move into the shack outside and then become slightly bigger. Um, and so that the sanitation practices and all of that is going to protect these new upcoming small cheesemakers. And Viac, of course, case in point, you know, is that's what the, the courses they provide are invaluable for us to move further. Yeah, and I want to uh, Wisconsin as well. Absolutely. I think are very good at the dairy science yes. end of things. Absolutely. And actually, there was just I think close to a million. Um, dollars left in Oregon by uh, create uh, uh, the University of Oregon was given I think close to a million dollars <laughs> for an endowment to um, create a cheese making um, college basically wow so you know the, I, I, I totally agree you know we're we're building the infrastructure um, to be able to supply those services at this point we're just we're just behind, and in the in the meantime, you know the, uh, <clears throat> the there are some real problems out there. Um, when a, a produce, you know, I think the FDA, um, I think they called it a study. Um, they visited 120 some cheesemakers, and uh, 20 uh, over 25 percent of them, um, you know came back positive for listeria contamination in their plants. Uh, no, there aren't any sicknesses associated with any of the cheesemakers or the cheeses that, that um, 
are out there from these uh, producers, but um, that you know that's that's very worrying. Um, well, let's and problematic. Well, let's talk a little bit about. I mean, Daphne, if you if you mm-hmm. feel comfortable, we were talking about it before the show just a little bit, and. We were talking about, you know, again, the European standard of things and the way that things are measured. Um, and in the U.S., we kind of go for zero tolerance, ulti- zero tolerance ultimate sterilization mm-hmm. versus... Not just in the product, but also on facility. Right. And so um, what, you know, could you, do you feel comfortable commenting on... Um, sure, I'll comment a little bit. I, you know, I am absolutely and by no means an expert in this. But if you look at the training processes that young cheesemakers go through in France, it's a very standard standard training. It's not uh, as a master's degree. It is definitely the apprenticeship of a craft. Um, So there's all these schools that give that foundation to a craft, to the young apprentice cheesemakers of the future and then the cheesemakers. And now the, the health department there, and so now the government body that regulates the sanitation issues on the farm and in the dairy are the same. And they are practiced, they're called the veterinarian services in France. It's service vétérinaire, but it's so much bigger than that. But what I like about it, and I know so little, and I wish we had, I wish I had a better capacity to explain it to you, but I don't have the information here um, for which I can, you know, I can talk with... uh, you know, uh, with knowing exactly what I'm talking about. All I know is that they come into the dairy after they have inspected the farm, the water, uh, and so through the animals and the milk do they come in and inspect the dairy and cheese-making facility, which is a completely different way than we do it. For us, it's two entirely different bodies of, uh, you know, of, of, of sanitation. Yeah, Matteo, what, what are your comments on that? Uh, well, um, I'd say that like the the FDA inspectors that we see uh, through our facility don't, don't know anything about cheese, mm. and so um, you know that's that's a big problem. Well, um, and you you because you can't be well regulated by some, by a regulator that doesn't understand what you're doing actually um, well to tell you a quick little funny story i mean so this um ari's uh weisenzweig who um uh daphne works with i thought that was one of the funniest things ever when he described people running a business um and not really knowing what they're doing it's like it's people being out on a football field but nobody knows which way you're supposed to be running or who else is on your team or you know uh what the rules of the game are it is if the inspectors don't know about cheese yeah then it's just like the system is broken from the very most bottom level well i think also you know in this country not just in in food but in a lot of areas we don't really look at process we are uh, end result um we make judgments based on end results not on process and so you have for instance in large industrial um food facilities for instance where they process beef um you have, you know, beef being dipped in ammonia because the end result is that the beef is, quote unquote, not contaminated. So we're looking really at um, ignoring process and going for, you know, the sort of very baseline um supposedly scientific end result. So which is what Matteo was talking about. When the inspectors come in, um, I'm sure they test, um, they test your cheese, right? And they test your milk. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the testing that the inspectors perform? Um, Well, we're we're regulated by the state of Vermont and the Agency of Agriculture is, uh, you know, comes once a quarter uh, to inspect our plant. And uh, once a month, they pull a milk sample. Um, the FDA has been here twice since we since we've been in business. We we didn't we saw them the second year uh, we were uh, making cheese here, and then we didn't see them again for five years. And uh, getting getting back to uh, to that, I think you know the uh, Bush administration gutted the regulatory infrastructure for. The, across the board, if you look at like the, or the regulation of the oil industry, 
the regulation of the food industry, the, the regulation industry. of the banking industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the FDA's budget uh, was cut by $140 million, and the FDA office in Vermont was actually closed. So there's one FDA agent for all of uh, northern Maine, northern New Hampshire, northern Vermont, and upstate New York. One. Okay? Um, that's a big problem. We need robust regulation um, in order to, uh, you know, you, look what happens to the banking industry without regulation. Look what, you know, look what happens to any industry if you don't, don't have good regulation. Regulation is not necessarily a problem. The problem is um, the approach, right? So, the process. Um, as, as um, you know, the Obama administration has come in and started funding the FDA, there's a political mandate to show that there's action being taken to, um, like, secure the safety of the food supply. Mm-hmm. And um, as a consequence, the FDA is uh, set targets for criminal prosecutions as a measure of um, of their their success, right? And they're so they're hiring. They're not hiring microbiologists and food scientists. They're hiring uh, criminal investigators out of the FBI and law enforcement, people that don't know anything about food but know how to put together a case, right? So I mean, the whole uh, paradigm needs to shift uh, towards you know. Um, a regulator that's capable of helping uh, businesses, large and small, produce safe food. Absolutely. And establishing protocols that work for producers of all sizes. Right. And, 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 you know, I just want to really reiterate that uh, we are not against uh, regulation. We're, you know, we're a small uh, business. Um, We had, when the FDA comes, it's it's a disruption. Um, you know, it's 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 hard on it's hard on our business. Um, it's stressful. Um, but if you if if in, in the void um, and the chaos of uh, you know the of the food industry out there, we need we need some some standards. And personally, I believe that the cheese industry should uh, self-regulate. Should develop standards. There should be. Um, you know, standards. Uh, the Vermont Cheese Council is going to be uh, developing uh, food safety standards for Vermont cheesemakers. If you want to be a member of the Vermont Cheese Council, it's, it's likely someday that you're going to have to, you know, uh, have a risk management plan and you, you're going to have to have a testing program and you're going to have to um, have the pieces in place that are going to ensure that as a Vermont cheesemaker, you're, you're doing the right things to protect the industry in Vermont. Um, so, um, Mark, I was talking a little bit with Mark Fisher about that. Um, he's a cheesemaker at Woodcock Farm, and he told me that the Vermont uh, Cheese Council actually sponsored um, a workshop last year to become HACCP certified um, in Vermont, which uh, is is great um, because you know then that's the kind of thing that could potentially you know give small producers access to. Uh, the certification, or at least give them an intro to this kind of certification, which can be pretty costly and uh, and 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 difficult to navigate if you don't have a body helping you with that. So I think that's a very interesting point: self-regulation. Um, and actually, I remember you know that that comes back to a, a meeting of the Raw Milk Cheese Consortium that I was able to attend back in 2003. I mean, I think you guys we were talking about. Um, developing standards for raw milk cheeses to, you know, ensure that they, that they were, um, protected. Um, so, well, uh, I don't know if this is the the proper time to segue, but, um, there, that story in the New York times came out right about the same time as the, as, um, Congress was passing the food safety modernization act, um, which, um, is basically a, a bill that, uh, was talking about regulations of just this, this, uh, you know, just this kind of uh, thing, and um, providing different uh, standards and different exemptions for small producers um, to ensure that you know it is fair and that somebody who is craft foods is you know abiding by different standards than a small farm like like Jasper Hill Farm. So I think. 
um, it, it's it's just it's a very interesting time, and I feel like you know you were talking about that that kind of criminal um, criminalization of, of um, production that I think you know that this act was was really commenting on. Um, I think it did end up passing with the provision for small producers, but it's a very kind of I don't know it's a hostile hostile time it seems for the small producer. It's um, it's a hard time, uh, but I think it's only a hard time because as an industry we haven't done. Uh, the work that we need to do in order to position ourselves um, as, uh, you know, competent, uh, educated, and responsible manufacturers. Um, you know, I, I, uh, that, and getting back to the, the food safety bill, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it, uh, there's a different level of regulation for Farms that are um, that uh, have less than five hundred thousand dollars in gross sales. Correct. Yeah. And uh, who uh, distribute their product within uh, two hundred and seventy-five miles um, of uh, of the farm, um, and that's not Jasper Hill Farm, um, which which is which is fine. I just I just wanted to like put that out there is that you know Jasper Hill Farm. Um, Actually falls outside of um, uh, the, <laughs> those exemptions, and we're, we're we milk 40 cows. We're not we're not a big farm, um, but we're big enough not to uh, meet that limit. And um, honestly, um, that's fine. I think that uh, we need to uh, be capable of producing food that's uh, as safe or safer than craft uh, food. And statistically, we don't pose the kind of risk um, that, you know, a big industrial producer uh, will. And um, I think that should be taken into account uh, when, uh, by regulators. Um, what we're seeing and what exists in Europe is a risk-based, um, you know, approach to regulation. And if you're making high-risk products, if you've got a lot of employees, if you've got um, you know, uh, a situation where, you know, you don't control your milk supply. Um, if you've got, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different factors that, uh, you know, can play into the risk associated with, with, uh, with the cheese. And mm -hmm. um, instead of like a blanket regulation like the 60-day rule, which, um, you know, we make raw milk 60-day um, cheeses that, you know, I mean, we cut we cut our teeth on uh, and kind of established our reputation making Constant Bliss, which was the only raw milk mold ripened cheese in the U.S. You can do it, um, and you can you can make it make those cheeses safely. But the truth is that those cheeses are actually probably safer when they're 30 days. Mm -hmm. Constant Bliss would be a safer cheese when it was 30 days, and the science should take that into account. I think that. Um, you know, in Europe, the way that uh, regulation works is um, you can pretty much do uh, anything you want as long as your finished product meets, like, uh, standards, uh, microbiological standards, right? So uh, there's, there's a tolerance for uh, listeria. I think it's um, uh, 10... Um, 10 colony forming units um, per, per gram. So it's not a zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. There's, you can have low levels of listeria. Listeria doesn't become uh, pathogenic until it reaches levels of around, uh, of over 100. And, you know, the big issue is that um, in, in Europe, um, the the infrastructure, the testing services, all the all that infrastructure exists to support uh, uh, producers, and the regulatory um, system also exists to support producers, not punish them. And I think it's going to be a long time before that kind of culture uh, can change um, at the federal level. But as cheesemakers, I think, and as you know, retailers, um, it. We have the opportunity to work with our state regulators uh, who know us and who live in our communities um, to educate them. And uh, the Vermont Institute 
for Artisan Cheese is going to be putting together uh, a program uh, for regulators, um, which I think is brilliant. That's um, great. No, uh, Niels Yarderi did this uh, in England, and um, you know it makes a huge difference for uh, cheesemakers to have uh, an inspector walk through the door that understands uh, both what they're up against uh, on the day to day, and also uh, where the real risks are. Not you know. Uh, and helping people develop and manage their. Um, their facilities and their cheese making practices accordingly. It's a system that's created to um, to have production of food that's safe, but also that values the culture from which that food is coming from. And I think that you know I agree with Matteo that on a federal level, it's a it's a, a long hard road, but I think it's much easier for people to, um, on a more local level, on a state level, for instance, to understand the value of the culture of artisan food production, and that we're not just talking about one cheesemaker, you're talking about um, the community that the cheesemaker is working in, you're talking about the culture of animal husbandry, you're talking about... um, the embracing of tradition, the growing of um, sort of old old human traditions that have now um, have value in in this relatively young culture, which is you know American culture. Um, Matteo, there I think that you were in this article. There's a great article that was in um, um, put in the Harvard um, Journal. On the eco- called the ecology of of value, were, yeah. you, were you in that? Which yeah. I think for anyone who's um, interested in this issue to look at to to take the cultural perspective is a really really um, important article to read, and it talks in this article about um, why we support artisan cheese making, um, and it there's several perspectives to take. There's the perspective that we like artisan cheese; it tastes good. It's um, um, it's something that we enjoy eating. It's uh, another position is that we support artisan cheese because we support local communities mm-hmm. um, and we support production of food on a, on a small level made by hand um, by people in our communities. Um, and also, you know, that we support on a sort of m- m- very fundamental, almost sort of philosophical level, um, the the tradition of cheese making which is many many thousands of years old and part of um be part of the human experience actually on a on a very basic level and so um when i you know people ask me about food safety and cheese recalls and all of these things um all the time and i feel as someone who um works has worked um, to feed people cheese and teach people about cheese over this amazing decade of growth in American artisan cheese that I almost have, um, not only am I not necessarily qualified to talk from a scientific perspective, but I have this sort of cultural obligation to n- get people to think about a sort of big picture um, on, on artisan food and specifically cheese. And that, you know, the, I, I'm not here to, to tell you that listeria is okay, but I am here to make you question um, giving things up that are so ancient so quickly. And we don't know what we've lost until it's gone. <laughs> and I would love for, um, in create, as someone who helps create culture, um, that we start to ask those questions of the people we make culture with in our culture um, before it's gone and that we, we think about, um, about cultural importance. And this is also ties into Europe because basically in Europe everyone agrees that cheese making is, is vital to not just the economy but also to the culture and I think that that's something that we haven't really been able to talk about a lot in this whole food safety 
debate because everyone is so scared of Salmonella, E. coli, Listeria that we're ready to throw like the baby out with the bathwater um, because the whole thing is just too frightening. Right. Right. When the reality is, you know, obviously. That- well, the reality is, is that Listeria, I was I, last night in prepping for the show, was looking at a study, the most recent study on foodborne illnesses by the CDC. And you're looking at about, you know, a little over 2000 cases of Listeria on their last annually on their last study. And, and when you're looking at Listeria, you're comparing that to, you know, 2000 cases of Listeria to 2 million cases of Salmonella. And the, and the source of that Listeria is often not cheese it's often other products yeah and it's also you know the fatality is 0.2 percent of 2,000 people on the last study annually um and and Matteo brought this up you know there's this idea of risk um we have this very false notion in this country that there's such a thing as as no risk and there is such a thing as no risk it's called being dead Um, you know, that's the only to live is is to or boy in the bubble. Yeah, to to fun. encounter risk at every at every moment. Being a human being is a very risky proposition. Well, so to, to bring it back to the Cheese of Choice Coalition for a second, so I feel like you know you started this um, ten years ago, but it's probably more important right now than ever before. Um, what, um, how, how can people get involved with it? Are there, um, you know, any, is there, you know, are the, is it taking, is that group, um, taking any action, um, right now or are there plans? Uh, because, you know, as, as we were saying, you know, there is such an amazing, um, groundswell of support for these products from, um, consumers and, um, you know, I feel like they need to they need to grow together. Like Matteo was saying, the, in, the infrastructure of the industry needs to grow and improve. Um, but with more um, talking from the consumer perspective, from the retailer perspective, that can only strengthen the argument. So, is there anything at work? Well, uh, part of the the cheese of choice coalition's um, um, work, I think, was to stave off that particular tendency at that moment in time. Um, what I like, and uh, so I think that in order to get more involved, uh, one should go to the American Cheese Society and talk to those committees. There's a raw milk cheese committee there. There's all that history. The American Cheese Society also um, was part of the Cheese of Choice Coalition very, very early on. So I think it should be through the uh, through the ACS that people should come in and um, and become active. Um, what I like about our industry is that it's still very small and very nimble. Um, and this is the moment, it's, it's the take action moment for us. I think Tia is very right, that we can influence the way regulations are going to be set precisely because we are educating the regulators. We talked about Niels Yard Dairy, the Vermont, um, the VIAC, um, but also in California, uh, Cowgirl Creamery is doing exactly the same thing, meeting up uh, with government to try and put down regulations for cheese making, for cheese mongering, for their counters and so forth. So this is a propitious moment. And, um, you know, we're small, nimble. All we need is a little bit more funds. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. Well, I never, yeah, it's funny. Being being in New York City and being a business in New York City, you know, that's um, subject to, um, you know, many inspections as well. I never thought I would say that I wanted more regulators, but I, I think <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I think that there's a certain kind of symbiotic relationship that can be developed and should be developed. And it's all of our responsibility in the end to make sure that um, that 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 information about raw milk cheese making is, uh, is being shared and, and that people can forward the craft. Um, do you, uh, I don't know, does it, we're almost out of time. Does anybody have any sort of final comments that they want to make sure get, get out there before, uh, before we wrap up? Um, I, I have, uh, an interesting idea. I think that, um, um, that more and more we're actually going to end up being regulated by insurance companies. <laughs> and, um, and that um, it may, and that may, that there may be some great opportunities there. 
ultimately, um, you know, the government is not that good at a lot of, of things, but uh, pri- private industry is, is more nimble. And um, I see um, kind of the American uh, regulatory system moving more towards a, a system of third-party audits and, um, and certifications. The FDA has already uh, said that any uh, cheesemaker that adopts uh, a particular um, third-party audit system uh, will only be visited by the FDA every five years, okay? Hmm. So um, you're talking about uh, developing food <coughs> products um, under the like uh, auspices of a third-party audit system, which our customers are starting to require um, hmm. of us. Um, and. Um, more and more, I believe that uh, insurance industries. I, I, I would I would venture to say that <clears throat> in um, in ten years, uh, you may be able to make almost anything you want if you can buy insurance, hmm. which is kind of a crazy idea. But I, I have a feeling that we will end up there one day. Huh. That is very interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. Privatization of of risk. A new approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I just wanted to thank everybody for being on the show today. It's been a really, um, it's been a really interesting conversation. I definitely have learned a lot. I definitely, I don't know. It's it's always humbling because there's so much. I felt like this conversation work to be done could have gone on for. Mm-hmm. Six hours and mm. yeah. Well, I, I yeah. think we should definitely do a follow up, and it's if a possible, to be continued conversation. There's no question about that. Yeah, if possible, get somebody you know, like uh, uh, get somebody from the European perspective mm-hmm. too to talk a little bit about how things are done over there and what we can learn. Um, so, well, I mean, yeah, amazing, amazing. Thanks to all of you guys for for being Thank willing you, to talk to talk about this, and um, we'll see you next week on Cutting the Curd. Thanks, Mateo. Thanks, Mateo. Thanks, Daphne. Thanks, Anne.